Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. Clayton is our comma guy. Why don't you tell us what we're talking about? All right, we're going to be talking about Psalm 60. Psalm 60 is our weekend reading for this uh, week. Uh, as you know, the Bible Savvy Schedule has... Uh, kind of we're reading through books through most of the week, and then every weekend we're kind of sequentially going through the Psalms. And so Psalm 60 is is this one, and I picked it because once again, this happened a few weeks ago, which is remarkable. Um, The Psalm uh, comes out of the context of the story that we're reading in 2 Samuel. So... Pretty crazy. So here's... let Let me tell you how I know that. At the very beginning of the Psalms, most of the Psalms have a little bit of um, kind of a heading, a little bit of information about the Psalm. And uh, this time it says this, for the director of music to the tune of Lily of the Covenant, a miktam of David, that's all kind of musical instruction for teaching. And then it says this, when he fought Aram Nahariam and Aram Zoba, and when Joab returned and struck down 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Okay, now, if you are like me, you have no idea what those events are. They do not readily come to mind. They're not the stories about King David that you're used to hearing. But there are footnotes in pretty much any Bible worth reading. There are footnotes that tell you this is referring to, uh, you know, here in Second Samuel. So I saw that, and it turns out th- this Thursday we are reading the stories that this psalm is referring to. So I'm going to have uh, Eric read just a, a few verses here in Second Samuel chapter 8, that will give us the context for when this psalm was written. So uh, 2 Samuel 8, you can read verses 3 through 6, and then 13 and 14. Might I say, Clayton, that your pronunciation of Hebrew names, fantastic. I mean, you you nailed it. (laughs) No no one knows. I mean, Mm. some people do. Some people (laughs) Most of our listeners don't. Some people that are listening would (laughs) potentially know. So if you think uh, Clayton's pronunciation of Hebrew names is spot on, email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com. We we do have an Old Testament professor who goes to our church, so I wonder if she says... If you think he was just making stuff up and confidently just saying words, email us at podcast (laughs) at biblesavvy.com. If you've had some thoughts or appreciate and enjoy the podcast, but you've never emailed us, you should email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com. All right. So reading 2 Samuel chapter 8, starting with verse 3, and sweet Lou, I just was talking about how Clayton pronounces Hebrew names, and now I'm about to get whammied by this text. Moreover, David defeated Hadadezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah, when he went to restore his monument at the Euphrates River. I'm going to stop here because Nikki has a confession to make about the Euphrates River and how she used to pronounce that word. Yeah, when I, I used to pronounce it the way it looks. So I used to say Yupfritz or something like that. Like, <laughs> that is not how it looks. Well, I don't know. Like That's just when I was Yupfritz. younger, that's how I, that, when I saw it, that's how I, I, I said it. It's, it. I don't know. All right. Moreover, David <laughs> David defeated Hadadezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah, when he went to restore his monument at the Yupfrats River. <laughs> How did this just go from Hebrew to I don't know what? Because <laughs> the only way I can think of saying Yupfrats yep, is to make it Southern. All right. 
David captured a thousand of his chariots, seven thousand charioteers, and twenty thousand foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. When the Aramaeans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down twenty-two thousand of them. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Aramaeans became subject to him and brought tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Skipping down to verse 13, and David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Okay, so you might be thinking, I still don't know why this is relevant for reading the psalm. Let me, let me give a, a little explanation. So at this point in the story of Samuel, we have seen uh, David come from obscurity, get chased around and struggle, and finally come to the throne. So he's finally, like everything's coming together for him. And this is a story that's summarizing how as a new king, um, all of the surrounding nations, he basically fended off and even took some of their territory and had these great victories. So it's kind of a uh, you know a highlight reel of the successes, the wins that David has had. And when you're reading Samuel, you're supposed to think, "Oh man, it's finally going well for David." You know, it's it's victory. He's become famous. He's doing all this great stuff. I found it really interesting to read that before looking at Psalm 60, because Samuel has a certain feel when reporting the, these stories. And I don't know about you, but I, I think I found Psalm 60 to have kind of a different feel. So I, I'm going to have Eric read Psalm 60 and see what you think about that. Do you want me to read it with a different feel? <laughs> you want me to read it with my Southern accent? Or no, I'll, just, I'll just read it the way it's written. You have rejected us, God, and burst upon us. You've been angry. Now restore us. You have shaken the land and torn it open, mend its fractures for it is quaking. You've shown your people desperate times. You've given us wine that makes us stagger. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. Save us and help us with your right hand, that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph, I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin, on Edom I toss my sandal, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have now rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies." All right, we are going to start with the O and comma, which is observation, and uh, I want to hear uh, the things that you see here, and, and we can get back to that question of how this contrasts with the, the story that we've got in Second Samuel. What do you guys see? Well, this is, a, this is a psalm that God feels really far away to David in this psalm, um, but nevertheless, David keeps crying out to him for help. He keeps identifying um, that God is the one who can um, rescue and deliver and redeem, and just he he can be the one. He he is the one that saves them. He's the one that brings the victory. So yes, it's a it's a big difference from what we just read in in uh, Samuel. It's like we we heard the highlight, like highlight highlight reel. They won, but 
this is experiencing what they experience in the moment. Yeah, I know you said to not think about the contrast between the Second Samuel text and this, but it's virtually impossible now that you've pointed yeah. it out. And so I'm looking at the first phrases in each of the first three verses of the psalm. You have rejected us. You have shaken the land. You have shown your people desperate times. And so I'm trying in my head to put together like the timeline. Is this David saying, we things are going really bad and we are not seeing your victory. And now I'm asking for it. So like, was this psalm written before the battles were fought and he won the victories? Or is the timeline somehow different? So my brain in terms of timeline is completely confused. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the imagery there is so clearly not the victory party, right? Like, uh, I, I noticed that some of the observations, some of this this kind of images of like, there's an earthquake. No, no, that's not a literal earthquake, but he's saying this is how it feels. It feels like the ground is breaking up beneath me. I don't have a place to stand. Or uh, wine that makes us stagger. It's like, I'm so... Uh, bewildered. I'm so confused. I'm so not sure what to do next. I feel like I'm drunk. You know, it's it's just that disorienting. And so there is a like, if you've ever been in one of those really stressful moments, you you can identify with that kind of feeling of like I, I I can't I can't even like figure out what to do next. And so I we don't we don't have to ignore the contrast here. I, it really does feel like almost a different event when you read it. You say if 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 you sat down and said, tell me about that that battle you just had. And one person said this, and the other person said the the second Samuel thing. You'd be like, are we talking about the same thing? You know? What else you guys see? We've talked about in previous episodes that when you're reading a psalm, it, it's helpful to look for the turn in the psalm. Many, many psalms have a turn in them. And so if you look at verses one, two, and three, you've rejected us, God. Uh, you've been angry. You've shaken the land and torn it open, mend its fractures for its quaking. You've shown your people desperate times. You've given us wine that makes us stagger. So it's all the things that Clayton just said. Things are not going well. It's very disorienting. It's very troubling. And then the turn. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. And so it is the, it is the this is my current reality. But I also know this to be true, that you raise a banner that, that we can be protected from the attacks of the enemy if you are the one that's leading the battle. And so there is both current reality and acknowledgement of God in this turn. Yeah, I think it also acknowledges the fact that that God is just and God is gracious. Like he has the ability to, I don't know, just just say, hey, if, if this is how people choose to live, then I'm going to respond this way. But at the same time, if they do turn back and if they do come to me, I can be and I will be gracious also. So it's this balance of, of seeing the God's characteristic as his characteristics of being a, a, a both just and gracious God. Yeah. It, it, you, you're, you're kind of pointing a little bit too at the that kind of opening line where it says you've rejected us. Yeah. Like it's not just, hey, we're in, we're in trouble, God. Where are you? It's, I actually feel like this is some sort of discipline. And and that's that's not really commented on in the Second Samuel passage. Um, we don't like, but apparently, it's in some way as David is reflecting on this or in the middle of it, he perceives this as uh, a situation where there's some God's trying to get his attention. God's you know um, there, there's some correction that's happening or something something is out of sync, and so um, it's interesting. It's just not mentioned in the, the Samuel stuff, but at least for those events on the ground, there was some awareness of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I I, uh, I think the last uh, line, the last two verses there, um, they feel like good summary statements here. Uh, Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. Like, there's a, a, a contrast between the you know, strength of humanity, you know, what, what we can do in our own strength and effort and who we would call to, to come be our backup here versus God's help. God, like God is the one who gains victory. He's the one who uh, conquers these kingdoms. And so it doesn't take away the fact that, you know, David and Joab and these guys, like they actually did have to go, you know, fight a battle. I'm sure it was tiring. They had to use strength or whatever, but the real reality is their, their strength, their strategy didn't win this for them. God did like, it's his victory. Yeah, I think is it, there's like this visual depiction of that too in like verses 7 and 8, uh, where in verse 7 he mentions like towns, right, like or cities that are known of like the Israelites. I know how to pronounce them, Judah. I know how to pronounce that one. Um, but in, in this visual per, like depiction of victory in like a helmet and a scepter, and then verse 8, like with Moab and, and Edom and how do you say it? Phil- how do you say that one? Philistia. Philistia? We should just see how you do. Just, okay. So like a, a sandal, like he's, <laughs> exactly. But it's this idea of those other towns that don't belong to Israel being representative as like, I'm going to toss my sandal. You know what I mean? It's going to be my wash ba- basin. Like it's, it's this visual depiction of him triumphing over them, them being less than. Yeah. Bouncing off of. Nikki talking about Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine. These are all territories in the promised land, right? These are tribes in the, in the promised land. But then when it moves on to Moab is my wash basin, Edom I toss my sandal, Philistia I shout and triumph. Those are non-Israelite mm-hmm. areas. And so this seems to be saying that all of it is God's. God is sovereign. He's mm-hmm. over everything. Now, he has obviously a particular commitment to the tribes of Israel, the promised land, uh, but he is Lord over all of it. Uh, the, other, the other observation I have is whenever I see quotation marks in anything, it makes me want to see where they're coming from. And so in triumph, I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the Valley of Succoth. Uh, if you look at those two cross-reference links and you just go to where that's coming from, uh, you find out parceling out Shechem, that is where the Lord is speaking to Abram and telling him that he is going to lead him to a land, it gives him a promised land, and it's kind of measured out, and he tells him what that territory will include. And then the Valley of Succoth, if you go there, you will see the story of Jacob uh, and Jacob being there and worshiping there. So I'm, I'm, just always, I'm just always a curious reader of the Bible, and whenever I see quotes, I know they're getting pulled in for a reason, and so I want to go see where they're coming from. Yeah. Um, One other observation I've got is um, I I see, I look at these battles and the descriptions here, and it sparked a contrast with the book of Judges that we read, you know, at the end of last year, where all of these same nations were threats to to Israel. And there's a little bit of a difference here between, like, obviously there's still like a, a battle to be fought, but now... God's got his king like that he's made a covenant with and uh, is a man after his heart who is on the throne leading Israel. And there's something more definitive about these victories. When you look at the, the second Samuel thing where it's like, David probably is, is thinking, oh no, this is like judges. Like I've heard the stories of how Moab and Edom and all of these guys continue to plague us. And so there could be some of that distress coming from, here we go again. And, and then the definitive victory 
that gets reported in Second Samuel is some of that like, oh wait, we're we're into something different now. We've established something more secure here. Uh, some, something something new is happening here, and so I I see that there. Uh, let's let's move on to M, uh, the the uh, meditation portion of this, and I want to highlight those final two verses in the psalm, because I think these are really good ones to, to ponder. Like, like we say all the time, meditation is just prayerfully pondering, prayerfully thinking uh, about the words of Scripture and listening to what God has to say to us through that. So uh, I'm going to read these here, and then we're going to give you 45 seconds to do that. Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. All right, let's jump back in with the next M in comma, which is message. What message did you guys get out of this passage? Um, So my message comes from um, verse 9. David asks the question, who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Adam? And and I think to myself, my message would be, who will bring me, who will lead me in any situation and circumstance in my life? God will. Um. God will lead me, God will bring me through any situation that I can face if, I, if I'm faithful in turning and, and trusting in him in the moment. So my message is I have a part to play, but it's never the primary part. So as I think about this Psalm and they're talking about going into battle, he says, give us aid against the enemy for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory. He will trample down our enemies. They still have to go into battle. They still have to... Be obedient to do the thing that God is asking them to do, but the victory will not be won without the right hand of God creating victory for them. And so I have a part to play. I have to do my part, but ultimately the primary part is God's. That's great. I I had kind of two messages, but one is really similar to, to yours, Eric, where I was saying, when you tell the story of the victory... Make sure you give credit to God. You know, there's there's that that sense of like this is really like we were part of it, but this is this is God's story. This is God's win. But the the other message is this, and it it does come from the contrast between these two accounts. It's that uh, both of the experiences can be true. So like the the same event, like you you can have things in your life that feel overwhelming and distressing, that are very difficult. Where you've had those moments where you're crying out, "Where are you, God? Please help me!" Like I'm desperate. I don't. I can't do this. And also the joy of victory. You know what I mean? Like, the, like these things can all be intermingled. And I think, I think it's really important. Like when you read the Bible, you get a, a, a more realistic perspective than most of us get sometimes. Like, like either from, I don't know if it's advertising or you see people, you know, just sharing about their, their life and they present it, one, you know, one way. It's kind of flat. It's like they've interpreted it. Oh, things are going well. Or, or maybe, you know, they're, they're someone who's totally in distress. But to have that complexity of saying, 
yeah, some things are a mix of good and bad, scary and confident. Some some things are things that I'm like so grateful for. And also I'm still recovering from because it was traumatic. You know, like it can, you can have all of those things wound into one. And in fact, I think the most mature people I know know how to tell the story both ways. You know, they can celebrate the good victory of God, but they can also tell you this is what the struggle was like. Um, and I always appreciate it when I encounter people who can do that. So that's my message. Both both experiences can be, or, or maybe I would say uh, the experience of God's work in your life can be in a, a complex experience. You can, you can experience a lot of things. Let's talk about application. How are you going to respond and do something uh, in response to this passage? Uh, for me, I feel like I need to, I just need to take more time to pray, honestly. Like, I think there's, there's, there are times uh, throughout the week and times in of my day where I can say, well, prayer is reserved for my morning time or prayer is reserved for my evening time or prayer is reserved for when we're in prayer meetings as a staff or when I'm praying with my team or my team of volunteers when we circle up before rehearsals or whatever. But I need to be more mindful to pray in any situation, circumstance where I am, I, I'm going into a meeting, I'm going into a conversation, I'm, I'm about to start on a, on a new project, like God will bring me and lead me through whatever it is that we're going to face. I just need to pray and I need to ask him to enter into it. It's not just reserved for those moments where it feels like, oh, this is now the proper time to pray. It's always a good time to pray. I just found this this app that has been actually really helpful. I've only used it for like a week, so I don't know if this is like an ongoing thing I'm going to do, but it's called PrayMinder. And you you just, you like put in things that you are on your mind or whatever, and then it will send you random alerts throughout your day to say, hey, don't forget to pray for this. Yeah. You know, and, and it's really good for me to be like, oh, it's not a designated time to pray, but it just reminded me, I'm like, don't forget, like right now, there's something you could be praying for. Mm-hmm. Eric, what's your what's your application? The members of this podcast have not received compensation for <laughs> this product placement by Clayton. <laughs> Mine is, if my message is, I have a part to play, but it's not the primary part, then my application is, I just need to keep showing up. Hmm. And, I, and I'm thinking about a few, a few examples. One would be when pastors are preaching. Pastors have to prepare a sermon, study, study well, think about their audience, learn how to present well. You do all of these things that is the human part to play. But at the end of the day, if something good happens in the life of a person, if God does something on the inside of a person, if the, if the, if the lights get turned on, if the, if, the, if the Spirit of God does something in their heart, it's not because my preaching, my sermon was so good. It's because God was doing it. But I still have to show up. Mm-hmm. And prepare, right? And so there's on the on the ministry side, and then on the on the personal side, it is whether it is as a husband or a father or a neighbor or just a random citizen who interacts with society to just keep showing up, to keep saying what I feel like the Lord wants me to say, be where I feel like the Lord wants me to be, just keep showing up, and then the Lord was the one that will bring the victory. For me, the application is related to how I tell the story of things that happen, and um, and I. So, if you were gonna, if I was gonna uh, pick which side of things that I fall on, do I uh, report things ha- that happened in my life more like Second Samuel, or it's like, hey, here's the victory. Let me tell you how it went, or uh, let me tell you how hard it was, like Psalm sixty. I'm definitely the Psalm sixty guy. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. you know, I'm a little bit of a, a, a pessimist, but. Um, 
we often around here um, as a staff at Christ Community will uh, do things like God stories where we will share in a meeting or at a prayer meeting or something uh, where we've seen God at work. And I, I think I need to do a better job telling both sides of the story, telling the God story side of things, not just the, uh, you know, how it was a struggle kinds of things. Because um, I think that is both builds that confidence and gives credit where credit's due, uh, but also uh, makes something that I could reduce to one way of saying it, something that's more complex and say, no, there, there, there was all sorts of things going on here. So tell the God stories better. Hey, Nikki, how do you say Euphrates? Euphrates. <laughs> That's so good. All right, friends, thanks for listening this week. Hey, just a quick reminder, our Inspiring Stories Week is coming up on February 19th and 20th. So if you're nearby, you can join us at one of our campuses. If you're not, then check it out online. And if you you want to join us next Monday for a new episode, we'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading along with us. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week. What is that, crickets?